0: Welcome back to another episode here on Confessions of a Recovering Hot Mess with me your host Bethany Sesterick and today we are going full art mode as we talk about the art of worship. Let's get after it. Now worship is something I think most associate with singing songs on Sunday morning before church starts. Maybe you know all the words but don't really understand them. When I was younger, I knew the words to most of the songs we sang in church, and if the rhythm of the song was particularly catchy, I really enjoyed singing it. But because I didn't know or understand God, I would look around and see people respond to these songs in ways I never quite understood. Why did people cry or lift their hands? Why did they hold such a look of love on their faces as they looked to the heavens with a smile? What did they know that I didn't? Most of my life, the thought of raising my hands to the Lord felt weird. I was thinking, what if someone saw me? What if I don't do it right? What if it changes me in some way? Now, not wanting to be changed, I shied away from getting to know and understand Jesus in any form. I decided God was some control freak who wanted to keep me under thumb, and my only way to freedom was to control myself. They say our idea of God stems from our childhood. And honestly, that makes sense. As a kid, your parents are the authoritative figure in your life, and therefore, it unintentionally shapes the idea of God. We then see him through a distorted lens. As parents, we're all deeply flawed. I don't care if you've written a hundred books on parenting and are considered a quote-unquote expert in the field. We're all human. Therefore, we don't always respond in the healthiest of ways, and we don't always build our kids up either. And when we handle a situation poorly, like screaming, yelling, or tearing them down, it comes from this unhealed place in our lives. Now, for the really hard part, while trauma itself is something done to us by someone else, it is 100% our job to heal from it. Often we use trauma as an excuse to continue this unhealthy cycle in our lives. Oh, I'm just a control freak, or I'm type A, or I'm just a disorganized hot mess. It's just who I am. Wrong. It's who you've become as a result of your trauma. Please know I'm talking about myself here as well. As a self-proclaimed recovering hot mess, I have several areas of unhealthy coping mechanisms. And although I have much less of those now, there's still very much there. As for being disorganized, y'all should see my desk right now. I am literally looking around and all I see is this semi-organized chaos. I find it odd that I can be highly organized in some places of my life and such a dang mess in others. I guess that's what working on yourself and healing those traumas can look like. It can show both sides of the coin coexisting as one. Now I say all of this to tell you, you're not alone. We're in this together. Rather than continuing to use our traumas as an excuse for our rational, destructive, or even sinful behavior, we need to do something about it. Address it. Start therapy. Ask the Lord to show you the root of the problem and let him dig it out. Therapy isn't a bad thing. It can be a wonderful process as you learn to heal and walk through the pain with someone who can help you make sense of it all. I do want to say here, pray about that before you start and ask the Lord to bring the right person across your lap. Not all therapists are created equal, and I would highly recommend looking around for someone who has a Christian foundation so that this path that you're going to take in healing can glorify the Lord and you can heal in a way that aligns with the word of God. Just some unsolicited advice for you. Now, you might be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with worship? Healing is worship. Healing allows us to relinquish parts of ourselves that was once closed off to the Lord, and it opens our hearts for the Word of God to sink deeper. Tearing down walls can be a very scary process. I mean, you built those walls to keep you safe from others around you. But what happens more often than not is our walls become our own personal-sized prison, and it keeps everyone out, including God. So, To be vulnerable with him and allow him past our defenses might hurt in the here and now, but the long-term benefits of it far outweigh the short-term pain. And yes, I speak from experience. As we open up new spaces, it brings unfiltered growth to our relationship with the Lord, which opens us up to understanding what it means to fear the Lord. No, I don't mean we run in panic and terror from God, but I mean it in the sense of reverence and respect. Knowing God is the king above all kings and is wholly beyond comprehension. To hold respect for who he is and not pridefully think we somehow know better than him, which can turn our hearts sour. This is something I genuinely struggle with. I saw God as my friend, And when things didn't go the way I hoped or fervently prayed for, I felt betrayed. My lack of understanding of who God truly is fueled this flippant attitude when talking to the Lord. It also kept me from understanding why lifting my hands to the Lord mattered. We easily lift our hands in the air and wave them around like we just don't care at concerts and dances. We exclaim, This is my jam, and we jump around with excitement, and yet, when it comes to the Lord, we are shockingly quiet and reserved. Now, I'm not saying go white girl crazy when the worship team plays your favorite worship song, but rather, ask yourself why it's your favorite. Is it the beat, the way it's sung, or are the words what mean the most to you? There's nothing wrong with singing fun songs to the Lord and dancing around, but there is something wrong with not doing it out of fear for what others might think. Worship is not about everyone else around you. It's about you and God. For myself, I tend to get distracted easily. Any movement around me immediately pulls my focus. So I've learned that if I close my eyes, I have a higher probability of my focus remaining on the Lord. Not to say that my brain doesn't ever wander Or have random thoughts take over like some freight train blasting through. There are plenty of Sundays I have spent all of worship at war with my mind. I also believe these struggles were just a part of having ADD. My brain starts new thoughts before old ones are finished. I don't always comprehend what's being said because my thoughts are always racing. I get overstimulated and then frustration takes over. I believed all of this to be true, and since they are characteristics of ADD, it seemed plausible this would be a struggle for what I assumed was life. But I forgot a crucial piece of being a warrior for Christ. The biggest battlefield lies within our mind. Sure, some of my struggle is how my brain is made, but not all of it. Some of it is the enemy of my soul bringing distraction to pull my eyes and heart from the Lord. And I had to come into a deeper understanding of how the helmet of salvation protects my wild mind from harm. When we receive salvation, we are made new through Christ and have been given the mind of Christ. Now, all that was left for me to do was actually believe it to be true. Our mind is a very powerful place when we actually believe that God is for us and he will protect and fight for us, something changes on a fundamental level within us. How we move, function, and worship changes. Let me clarify one thing for you. Believing that I possess the mind of Christ within me in no way cured my ADD. I very much still struggle with all the same things I did before, but learning the tools of how to work with it rather than against it, has helped. And when it happens during worship, I lean into God and pray for the renewing of my mind and for the Lord's strength and focus to be abundant within me. More times than not, it makes a huge difference. And on the days it doesn't, I simply ask the Lord to make known what he's trying to teach me through that particular struggle. When we learn who the Lord truly is and not who we believe him to be, That is when we can lift our hands in praise and abandon all worry because the other people around you no longer exist because you're now fully focused on the Lord. Another type of worship that some might not realize is obedience. This is really the purest form of worship that we can bring to the Lord. There are countless verses we could go through like Psalm 119, 33 and 34, where David cries out to the Lord to tell him what to do and he'll do it. Also in the New Testament, James says in chapter two, verse 24, how we please God with our obedience. And obviously I'm paraphrasing here. We see this throughout the Bible from Abel all the way down to the disciples of Jesus. Many of us struggle with the idea of obedience especially if you've endured traumatic obedience where someone controlled you or abused you. I know the sting of that level of abuse far too well. It really made me push God further away thinking I was controlled once and that was too many times already. So no one will ever tell me what to do again. Not even God. What I had to learn is my obedience to the Lord was not about losing myself. But finding the best version of me in the process. Let me explain. I sat in the driver's seat of my life for a few decades. I ran my life off the road, hit a few people along the way, and slammed headfirst into my share of brick walls. But God is a gentleman. He isn't going to force us into unwanted relationship with him. He refuses to control us. Free will was created so we can always have a choice. But why? Well, in the freedom to choose God, a true and genuine relationship forms and gets built. If he forced us into it, we would love him out of obligation, not because we want to. When I was in an abusive relationship in my early 20s, I thought I loved this man with everything I was, simply because he made it clear I had no other option. I've been told more times than I can count I can't believe you of all people were in an abusive relationship. You're so strong-willed, I would have never guessed it. Since I was a teen, rebellion was kind of my middle name. You told me to do something, and I am for sure doing the opposite. But deep down, I was tired of feeling controlled while desperately wanting to be loved and accepted for who I was. (sighs) Teenagers, am I right? So many of us likely felt lost and confused during our teen years. We all so desperately want to matter to someone, anyone. When I turned 19, I thought I found that someone. He became my whole world, and I loved him with everything I had. He made me feel seen, special, and full. It didn't take long for the idea of living together to entice our hearts. After all, it's like a trial run for marriage, and that's where we were headed. Then came buying a house, but because we weren't married... He bought the house we found together. We made plans. We talked about kids and dreamed of the property and home we wanted in our future. We melded our lives together until one day he said the words that would crush me into oblivion. You're not the one. I felt blindsided. Never in a million years did I expect to be rejected by this man that I had built a life with and wanted a future with. That crushing moment set me on a path to numb the ripping pain I felt. Studies show that the emotional pain of rejection causes the same response within our body as physical pain. The deeper the rejection, the more intense the pain. And I was looking for anything to be my morphine. Enter the next relationship. Let's call him Will. I'm very convinced at this point that men like Will smell rejection in the water. They pick up on the subtle signs of eagerness, desperation, and brokenness, no matter how good you might be at hiding it. And let me tell you, I was, and still can be, an expert at it. He swooped me up before I knew it. He seemed to be just as crazy about me as I was feeling about him. A month later, he accidentally told me he loved me and then confessed, although it was an accident, he realized how much he meant it. Now, I didn't know if I felt the same way about him, but I was terrified that if I didn't reciprocate, he would reject me. So I said, I love you too. Within a few months, we were living together. I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea to move in so fast, but he convinced me it was right. That was really the point of no return. And it was here he subtly chipped away at me. My hair didn't look quite right. Or why was I wearing makeup to go to the store? I'd put on a few pounds. I needed to put on a few pounds. I wasn't wearing the right clothes. That shirt was too revealing. That shirt wasn't revealing enough. You get the picture. Little things that I thought, oh, he must be having an off day. And before I knew it, I had no clue which way was up anymore. I'd shunned all my friends one by one as he found reasons for me to no longer talk to them. He broke me off piece by piece. At work, I had a partner that I was with for 24 to 48 hours, and if it was a man, I had better not say anything that wasn't work-related, because men and women being friends is not okay, and everyone apparently knew that, except me. I was the root problem of all of our fights. When he would scream at me, I deserved it. When I messed up and made eye contact with the waiter at a restaurant, I had it coming, and I should just find myself lucky that he even loved me at all. And although he didn't lay a hand on me until many months later, the psychological abuse was like a giant fist slamming into the root of who I was. When I finally left, I didn't know if I could hug a man or not, and full-on panicked when my lifelong friend came to hug me in front of his wife. When I put myself back together, I did it in anger, also not something I would recommend. And any time I would consider coming back to the Lord, I would remember There were rules and boundaries, and he desired obedience. And I was like, nope. When life for the third time came crashing down, I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. And in desperation, I gave God control. And it was in this space I wrestled with God. I stayed in my sin cycle, and I refused to really bend a knee until I learned the boundaries of God are really not to control us. His desire for obedience is not in order to break us down, but to build us back up and remind us of our value. When I let Will into my life, I desperately needed his validation to tell me that I was worth something. I wanted to be desired and valued because it made me feel good for the moment. But that feeling didn't last. With God, he desires our obedience because that means we understand our own worth And that he created us to stand out, stand tall, and wear the crown of royalty on our heads. His boundaries are not built with prison walls, but they are laid out in love. In fact, there's no walls at all, because we have the free will to cross those boundaries if we desire to. But we will also endure the consequences of that choice, because sin has consequences. And friend, they aren't fun. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Obedience is worship because we are acknowledging that God knows better than us. It's dropping our pride and saying, I'm a mess. Help me. I'll do whatever it takes. So what about you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be healed, to truly be free? Because that's part of obedience and surrender as well. It's true freedom. I know it sounds contradictory to what we would perceive as freedom. We think moving in freedom means that I'm making all my own choices and nobody is going to tell me what to do. But in reality, when we move in a way that lines up with what we're feeling in that moment, it creates this place of bondage and it creates shackles and chains that are heavy and they leave us restricted. And what God wants to do is he wants to come in, break all of that off of you and show you the boundary lines. The lines that are going to keep those shackles off of you, the lines that are going to allow you to maneuver and function within them without having to be restricted and weighed down, that, my friend, is true freedom. Obedience to the only one who is really capable of holding our hearts. So I don't know about you, but I came to a point where I had to say, I can't do this anymore. Lord, I'm finally ready to do whatever it takes. People keep telling me you have the map to freedom. You have the map to hope. You have the keys that I need in order to move forward in this. I'm tired of looking for them in all the wrong places. So help me. Show me. Be my guide and take me to the places you need me to go. Yes, it was scary, but I promise you it is worth it. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me today. And don't forget to follow along so you won't miss new episodes when they come out. Take care and God bless.